Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Amen. It's good to see you all here this morning. Thank you, Greg, and those that serve with you in leading us in worship. If you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, I invite for you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And hopefully when you came in, you got one of these bulletins. On the back of that, there'll be some notes if you want to use that as we study God's Word together. But Mark chapter 1. Last week we started in the Gospel of Mark and we are going to take a trip, a journey through the Gospel of Mark um, because as we spend an extended period of time in the book of Exodus looking at what it means to be set apart as a church and what it means to be a church called out by God, um, the next step is to think about then what does the church do or what is specifically what is the message of the church in the day in which we live. And so we are going to be spending some extended time in the Gospel of Mark looking at the message of Jesus and more specifically the message for the church. And so as we go through here, we're going to be picking apart and pulling out and drawing out different elements of who Jesus is and then what that means for you and I and how we communicate to a watching world around us. So last week in Mark chapter 1, we are looking at the very beginning and the fact that he is coming and John the Baptist was coming and proclaiming that. This morning, we're going to pick it up in verse 9 and read verse 9 down through 11. And we're going to be focusing this morning on the revelation that Mark gives us in the gospel of who Jesus is. So if you would follow along as I read out of God's word this morning, I'm going to start in Mark chapter 1 in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. In the summer and the fall of 1999, I was going through the initial basic training for the Army Reserves. It's the same training, Active Army, National Guard, everybody does the same training. And and through that summer, I am in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and I'm going through the initial training. And one of the things that they, one of the perks that you do when you go through the training is every morning about 4.30 you wake up and they've put you through about two hours of physical fitness. Obviously, I have not kept up that discipline, but it's the idea you get up and they call it PT. And so every morning you get up and you're going through this time of physical fitness. Well, at five o'clock in the morning, if you get up at that time, you're going to understand that it's still dark. So you'd be up there and you'd have all of these 
privates. We weren't good enough to be called soldiers yet. You had all these privates running around, and then you had these drill sergeants. And you could identify the drill sergeants, not because of the way they were dressed, because they were dressed the way that everybody else was dressed, but they had these reflective vests on. And on the reflective vest, it would have their title. It may say, Staff Sergeant It might say Sergeant First Class Swafford, or it'd say something in little small letters across the reflective vest. One morning, we were out there, and we were doing all this exercise, and here comes a very kind, gentle-hearted, spirited man, and he starts giving instructions. And so the way that you'd respond, it was always, yes, drill sergeant, no drill sergeant, I don't know drill sergeant, yes, drill sergeant, I'm an idiot drill sergeant, all those things that would come along with it. What they hadn't told us was, is that the first sergeant was leaving and a new first sergeant was coming in. Now, if you don't know much about the military, I just need to simply tell you that you have, on the order of importance, you have first sergeant, and then you have drill sergeants, and then you have everybody else. So when you refer to the first sergeant, you say first sergeant. So this gentleman comes up. I shouldn't say gentleman. That's kind of a a, a slam against gentlemen. But he comes up and he starts giving these instructions. And I start saying, yes, drill sergeant, no drill sergeant. Now keep in mind, it's dark. Keep in mind, he has a reflective vest on, but it's kind of hard to see the lettering. And I'm not going to say, well, before I talk to you or before I listen to you, i got to see what your title is. It is just assumed. Within a few seconds, I was confronted with my error. And a whole group of drill sergeants got around me and informed me that I was talking to the first sergeant and I was misidentifying who the first sergeant was, which cost me calories and effort and muscle strength. And all of those things that come along with making a mistake and doing something wrong, and therefore I had to do extra push-ups, I had to do extra sit-ups, I had to do extra running in place, I had to roll around the ground, because I misidentified who the person was. Why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story because the danger that we have here in the Gospel of Mark is missing who Jesus is. Is And there is a lot of people today in the time and day we're living in right now that they know about Jesus and they can tell you facts and figures about Jesus, but they have misidentified who Jesus is. When we do this and we misidentify who Jesus is, then we misidentify who we are in relation to Jesus. So what Mark does as he talks about the idea of John the Baptist and of John the Baptist coming and proclaiming the king is coming, then you get down to verse 9 through verse 11, and he wants to make sure that they understand who this Jesus is. Is. Now, there are several ways that you will see historically and culturally that people will address that. And so Mark, here in this passage, in just these few verses, is going to give us a picture of different ways that they were looking at Jesus then. And I want you to see with me this morning different ways that we can have the tendency to look at Jesus today. So notice with me, if you look back in the text, in verse 9, Mark, as he's recording the gospel, he says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. The first way that, that Mark is addressing in the way that they were looking at Jesus and the way that we look at Jesus is, Where is he from? Now, you may say, well, what is so significant about that, Spence? Well, a lot of times, based upon where a person is from or where a person hails from, will depend on what we think about that 
person. And so what Mark does, he doesn't give us a street address, but he gives us a location of where Jesus was from. He identifies Nazareth as being the town, and this is to be to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And then he talks about the region or the province of Galilee. So he says, this Jesus, this Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. You and I in our Western culture today, we're sitting here and we're like, what does that matter? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament prophets, all the Old Testament prophecies would point to that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, that he would come from this place. So as Mark is writing this, Mark is saying, we are going to identify correctly who this person is. And there'll be some that'll be gathered there as Jesus comes on the scene And they will identify to like what Nathaniel said in John chapter 1 and verse 46. As Philip finds Jesus and then he goes and tells his brother Nathaniel. Nathaniel says there in verse 46, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth. In other words, what Mark is trying to teach you and I this morning is that there are a lot of people that knew of the reputation of Jesus. They may have had an assumption about the background of Jesus. Or they may have known about the past of Jesus. But they were missing who Jesus was. Have you ever had people do that to you? Because of your past? Or because of where you grew up? Or because of where you went to school? Or because of mistakes or failures that you had in your past? They now assume that's who you are today. I want to remind you this morning, I'm a walking, talking testimony. That while our past might describe us, our past cannot define us today. And one of those things that we see, Mark says, you understand, he is coming from Nazareth. And so that Jewish listener, that Jewish reader would have had these ideas. They would have had a preconceived notion of who this guy was. And sometimes when it comes to Jesus, we think about, well, who is he from? And we know he's from the Bible. And we have facts and we have figures in our head. And we have all this information, but we miss who Jesus is. So Mark says, He gives us one picture, one way that we see Christ. He came from Nazareth of Galilee. That is verse 9. He goes on in verse 9 and he continues and he talks about what does Jesus do? Where is he from and what does he do? Notice in your text how he describes it. Talks about Jesus and he said that he was baptized by John in the Jordan. It's this idea that when Jesus comes on the scene, if you know very much about who Christ is and who he is revealed through the rest of the Gospel of John, you will know he didn't need to be baptized. The baptism, as you see in the earlier verses of Mark chapter 1, was for the remission of sin, for the repentance of sin. It was people coming, recognized they had sinned against the Holy God, and they were being baptized as an evidence or as a mark, a demonstration of the repentance before God. Well, Jesus comes, and Jesus isn't coming as a form of repentance. No, he is coming as an identification with man. In other words, what Mark is saying is, what does he do? In many places you see in Scripture, Jesus acts like a man. And you may say, well, Spence, is that a big deal? Yes, it is a big deal because of who he is. But it's also a big deal because of what he does. You see, John 1, chapter 1 and verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Mark wants you and I to understand that when it comes to who Jesus is, in every respect, Jesus identifies as a man. In every respect, he identifies as someone like us. That's going to come and play when we talk about salvation, when we talk about atonement, when we talk about justification, when we talk about all these things. We understand that because of who Jesus is and because what Jesus does means that he can now be our sacrifice. Sometimes we come to this and we start to think, well, because he acts just like me, that must mean he is just like me. And we start to devalue or we start to marginalize or we start to minimalize who Jesus is. So can you imagine sitting there on the bank of the Jordan River? Jesus comes along and he identifies. He says, I'm going to submit to the, the, the ministry. I'm going to submit to the teaching of John. He gets down the water. He baptizes. He, he submits to the will of God. And can you imagine the rest of the people gathered around whenever Jesus says, I am the Messiah. They're like, you can't be the Messiah because we know where you're from and we know what you do. And we know that you look like us. You talk like us. You act like there was, there was all of these questions surrounding him. One of the dangers we have today is we are living in a time when there are a multitude of false teaching and cults. And the way you know a false teacher and a cult is because of how they believe about Jesus and what they believe about Jesus. A mark of a cult is when they deny the deity of Christ or they deny the role of of Jesus. You know, sometimes in our humanity and sometimes we start to think, well, Jesus understands or Jesus is cool or Jesus will give me a pass. And we start to forget that even though he came and he identified as a human, even though he came and he identified as a man, Christ was sinless. Christ was an example. He gave us an example of obedience. Well, there's some people today in this world, as, as in the day when Mark is writing this gospel, and they're letting these preconceived notions about where Jesus is and what he does color their idea of who he is. And we have to be careful when we go through the gospels and we read the gospels or read the stories about Jesus, we don't let just the fact of who he is, or I'm sorry, where he is from or what he does, color who he is. And again, I want to remind you, there is a danger in you and I going through this world thinking because we know about Jesus and because we do the things that Jesus told us to do, therefore we must have a right relationship and fellowship with Jesus. Matthew chapter 25 is very clear. Jesus says that there will be coming a day, there will be coming a day when people will stand and they will give an account to Jesus. And on that day, it tells us in Matthew chapter 25, he will separate the sheep from the goats. I mean, there will be saved people and there will be lost people. And he tells us in Matthew chapter 25, there will be lost people that thought they were saved because they knew about Jesus and because they did the things that they thought Jesus wanted them to do. But it wasn't just enough about knowing about Jesus or not just enough of going through the, the actions and the routines and the performances. It was about having a right relationship and knowing who Jesus is. And I do not want you to be deceived this morning that you think that just because you're sitting in church, then that means that your eternity is right with God. 
I don't want you to think that just because you own a Bible, that's all that is required. And so now that you are, are called a Christian, I don't want you to think that just because your name may be in a church role or because you watch Jesus or you watch preaching on television and you listen to people talk about it or because your grandma or because your mama or because your uncle or your second cousin on your mother's side twice removed, just because they have a right relationship with Jesus doesn't mean you have a right relationship with Jesus. So there was people. There was people in that time, and there are people that are even here today. And they see Jesus, and they think about the information. They see Jesus, and they think about the works, and they think about the performance. But they miss who Jesus is. Which is why, it says in verse 10, Mark gives us the account. And as if he rushes past this idea, the first way that people see Jesus is that is where he is from. He rushes right past the idea that some people see Jesus by what he does or by what they do. And he runs straight to the reality, straight to the truth, straight to the glorious picture of who he is. And you see Mark give us this account here in verse he says, when he came up out of the water, what? Immediately. This is a famous, this is a favorite word of Mark that we're going to see throughout the gospel of Mark. Immediately. There's this, there's this, it didn't wait a while. It wasn't a delay. It wasn't a certain amount of time. It was something that as soon as Jesus came out of the water, and there's a whole, there's a whole message there on the doctrine of baptism. So how we do baptism and that picture. But as soon as he came out of the water, immediately what happened? The heavens were torn open. And the spirit descended like a dove. I don't know exactly how to try to explain to you. The best idea that I have is that it was a cloudy day and as Jesus came out by the water and he looked up, the clouds parted. And there was something that was supernatural, something that was visible, something that was evident, something that was, was not to be confused with anything else. There was something supernatural and spiritual that came down and rested upon Jesus. And if that is strange enough or if that is alarming enough, then you hear the voice from heaven. Beyond people trying to explain the heavens being torn open or the spirit descending like a dove, it's verse 11. Verse 11, a voice came from heaven. This is God speaking. There's a lot of places in Scripture that you'll go to and you'll find a man speaking or a woman speaking or a prophet speaking, a disciple speaking, an apostle speaking. If you have a red letter edition of your Bible, you will see all throughout the Gospels where Jesus is speaking and they, and they record it in red. And you'll see all throughout the places and many, many times in Scripture where man or Christ speaks. But oh, there are fewer places where God speaks. And here in Mark chapter 1 and verse 11, God speaks. And listen to what God says says. He doesn't give a long treatise about baptism, the importance of baptism, the point of baptism, the mode of baptism. He doesn't go into a long description about the genealogy of Christ or where he came up or how do you explain his childhood or where he came from. He doesn't explain a lot about what is ahead of him, what he is going to do, what that means for everybody that is watching. He doesn't come and even qualify himself and say, hear ye, hear ye, now this is God speaking. He doesn't come. He doesn't qualify. He doesn't explain. He doesn't justify. It is as if a voice comes down from heaven as if everybody in earshot automatically already knows who this is.
Now put yourself in this position. What does God have to say about you? Verse 11. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Mark gives us the past, the background, the reputation that maybe Jesus had coming into this moment. Mark addresses how many times we will look at the actions or we will look at the performance or we'll look at the external things that Jesus does. But what Mark wants to focus us on is who he is. And at the very beginning, what God says, God says, you are my beloved son. Some of your translations, I think most of your translations will have the word son. That S will be capitalized. It's the idea that it is a formal name. Coming out of the original language, it's referring to a relationship or a connection. It's talking about he is God's son. He is not Joseph's son. He is not Mary's son. He is not Abraham's son. He is not David's son. He is God's son. This is the one that Isaiah was referring to when he talked about Emmanuel, God with us. God is saying when it comes to who Jesus is, this is who he is. He is God's son. It talks about authority. It talks about connection. It talks about intimacy. It talks about relationships. It talks about all of these things. This is God's son. That's a big deal. That's a big deal because there is only one person. Past, present, and future that holds the title as God's son. Only one. That's the only one given past, present, and future. And Mark wants us to know that when it comes to Jesus is, why is Jesus such a big deal? Why does Jesus matter to you and I? Why is Jesus the answer to the problem of sin? Why is Jesus somebody that you and I should follow and obey and submit to as the Lord of our lives? Why is Jesus somebody worth denying our lives, sacrificing our lives, giving up everything to follow his lessons? and his teachings and his will for our life. Why is Jesus such a big deal? Not because of the color of his hair, not because of the color of his eyes, not because of how tall he was or how short he was, not because of the grades he got in school, not because of anything that we might look to. It's because he is God's son. And we miss that. We miss that. Because I don't know about you, but I find myself elsewhere in Scripture from time to time, and I'll, I'll see a passage that Jesus says, well, do this, and I'll think, yeah. And I take it as a recommendation. Or I take it as a suggestion, or I take it as something that I maybe should look into, or I maybe should consider. But the fact that He's God's Son, 
And it's not just there in the text. It's not just there in verse 11 that he says, you are my son. No, he qualifies it. He gives us a descriptor to say what kind of son he is. He says, you are my beloved son. In other words, Mark is making sure that we understand that there were a difference in that day and there's a difference in this day between a son and a beloved son. Many of you know, my wife and I, we have six boys. And the question has come up on a repeated time, which one is your favorite? Now, if you were to ask one of those six boys, of course they got their opinion. It's whichever one is not acting like a knucklehead at the time. That's the one that they think is the favorite. The reality is, is when I talk about them, I don't say that this one is my favorite. I will refer to my favorite Eli, my favorite Wyatt, my favorite Luke, my favorite Ezra, my favorite Micah, my favorite Tuff. I have all of them. They are all my favorite sons. But there are times that they make it easier to love them. There are times that you make it easier for those around you to love you. There are times that we are living through this life that we find ourselves in different stages of obedience and submission. But here in Mark chapter 1, he is saying this Jesus, he is not the prodigal. This Jesus is not the disposable. This Jesus is not someone that God is obligated or a duty. No, this son is loved by God. And what is the last part of verse 11? God is pleased with him. Mark said, that's who this Jesus is. It's not a matter of where he's from. What does that matter? It's not a matter of what he does, past, present, or future. It's a matter of who he is. What makes a difference in your and I's life today when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and our obedience and our submission to the example, the model, and the calling of Christ in our lives, what makes a difference is not where he grew up. What makes a difference is not what he did Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. What makes a difference is who he is. If he is God's son, if he is the Messiah, if he is the Christ, then that changes everything. And if he's not, then don't worry about it. You see, so often we get, we get bombarded by the world around us that tries to lower our view of Jesus and raise our view of ourselves. And the danger is, and at the essence, what sin is. Sin is you or I thinking that we can have the authority or the autonomy to make decisions apart from the input, the obedience, or the submission to Jesus Christ. That is at the essence what sin is, is you and I deciding we are going to be our own gods. We are going to make our own decisions. So as Mark begins this gospel, Mark wants to set the stage and say, why does this gospel matter? Why does Jesus matter? Why should you listen to the story of the life and the ministry of Jesus? Why should you care to read past Mark chapter 1 and verse 11? Why does any of this matter, what Mark has to say? It's because of who Jesus is. And you may say, well, Spence, 
That seems a little bit simple. It's simple to think about. It takes a lifetime to practice. It's simple for you and I to conceive of maybe even intellectually. But the idea that now he is the son of God, which means that changes how I respond to him, which means now because he is God's son and I am not God's son in that same way, now that means that how I pursue or perceive him, respond to him, and submit to him changes because of his relationship to God. And church... We can do a lot of things to this community around us in the way of entertaining them, encouraging them, equipping them, reaching them. But if we miss the connection that the only hope that this community, the only hope this church has is a right relationship to God through Jesus Christ, then we've missed the point of why we are here. So what is the message of the church? The message of the church is to proclaim as loud as we can from the top of our lungs, this Jesus, he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is God's son. He is the one, the only way. This is who Jesus is. But in order to do that, we have to be the kind of people that are living the lives ourselves. So you see there at the bottom of your notes, the question is, is Mark tells us who Jesus is, but the question for you and I to reflect upon this morning is who are we? Now, no way am I saying that you and I are Jesus. The question is, is who are you? Are you the kind of person that people see Jesus in? Are you the kind of person that are modeling and reflecting and giving an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus with your daily life? Are you the kind of person that if someone says, I want to know who Jesus is, I'm going to look at Spence's life, they will get an accurate description and an accurate definition of who Jesus is because of who Spence is. So just a few questions there. To call us into accountability. The first is more of a statement when it comes to the nature of our homes. We are who we are when no one is watching. We are who we are when no one is watching. Old maxim, old trope, but still a true trope and maxim. It's the idea that you and I can come in here on a Sunday morning and you and I can open our Bibles and you and I can take out our bulletins and we can take out of our pens and we can take notes and we can say, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But when it comes to the privacy, when it comes to the isolation, when it comes to who we are when no one is watching, is he God's son? Or is he just a good teacher? Or is he just an optional decision? Or is he just somebody that I should probably listen to more? Is he God's son? Because if he is God's son, then he then has something to say about how you live your life. So we think about it in our homes, he is still God's son even in our homes. 
But then we think about our witness and our walk and our testimony and how we live in light of other people. And we're reminded that submission is eternal, internal, sorry, not eternal, internal. Submission is internal and external. So as Mark is writing this gospel, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the good news of Jesus Christ, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to come up and they are going to intellectually know who Jesus is. And they're going to have this idea, okay, you're Jesus, I'm going to follow and submit to you. But so many times throughout the scripture you see something happen. It's not just a mental assertion, not a mental affirmation. So many times then Jesus calls them to make an external declaration. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, if you think about Mark chapter 10, I'm not going to ask you to turn there this morning. You just may mark it down and go back and look at it later. In Mark chapter 10, there's a young man that comes to him and says, Great teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus looks at him and says, Here's what you do. You want to follow me? You want to serve me? You want to submit to me? You want to obey me inside? This is what you do outside, and that is that you go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. So many times when it comes to our walk and our faith before Jesus, yes, it is in Yes, it is mental, but it is often external. And I'm not saying that you're saved by works, and I'm not saying that you're saved by your actions. But I'm saying that there will be coming a time when you have to say, is what I believe inside and what I practice outside the same thing? The reality is, there may be some of us, us, in this room, that are a lot more holy in our minds than we are with our hands. We're a lot more sanctified in what we think and less in what we do. And the reality that Mark wants to get us to, Mark wants to point us to and to say, this idea of who Jesus is, it's not just a mental, it's not just an internal, it is an external thing. Because as you will know, for the rest of the Gospels, Jesus goes and he calls 12 disciples. Eleven of the disciples stay with him after the resurrection. Ten of those eleven disciples, history records, were martyred for their faith. Ten of them gave up the opportunity to live because everything was centered upon Christ. And therefore they were killed, not because of their crimes against humanity, but because of their devotion and their commitment to Jesus Christ. And Mark wants to make sure that you and I understand that when it comes to following after Jesus, there will be a mental cost and a, a, a inside cost and there will be an outside cost and yet for some of us we're okay with the inner, the inward price we're just not willing to submit to the outward price so Mark wants to make sure that we understand that this idea of who Jesus is then affects who we are and who we are is who we are when no one were watching. Who we are in the eyes of God through the work of Jesus Christ should be seen both internal and external. Why? Because there's only one way to God. And the only way to God is through His Son. And Mark as he continues in the gospel, is going to drive home the point that the only way that we have access to God is through Jesus Christ. 
Now, did I just make that up? No, I didn't make that up. You might write down, or even if you want to turn to John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus is giving his address, his final farewell before he is to be betrayed and crucified. And he's in the upper room, and he's got the disciples gathered around him, and he gives this discourse called the Upper Room Discourse. And in the Upper Room Discourse, in John chapter 14, in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the idea that what Jesus is going to affirm with his ministry, what Jesus is going to affirm with his life, what Jesus is going to practice, what Jesus is going to model, and what Jesus is going to show us is that there is only one way to God, and that is through him. So you and I are here this morning, and the greatest need we have is a right relationship and a fellowship with God because we were created by God. We were created with a purpose and a plan by God, and our sin has separated us from God. And so, therefore, you and I, the greatest question that we have is what are we going to do about our sin? And there's a whole slew of people outside of these walls that their idea, their answer is to mask, to work, to try to find some other way to God. So the Muslims believe it's by keeping the five pillars and by praying enough and keeping the rules and the dietary issues. In the Old Testament, you saw in the book of Exodus, you see it also in Leviticus and Numbers were the Old Testament law. And so the, in the Old Testament, and that picture in the Old Testament was you had to do the sacrifices and you have to observe the festivals and you have to observe the feast. And even today, you have Orthodox Jews that think it's about their dietary restrictions and about the things they do and, and their actions and their behaviors. And that is what means that they're right with God. Other cults and other false religions out there that teach you it's about your works. And it's about your performance, and it's about being good enough. And it's about trying hard enough, and it's about wanting bad enough. And there's all these explanations about there. How do you get right with God? And it's because it's always on you. But if you were the answer, you would have already fixed yourself. And if you were the answer, then you wouldn't need God and you wouldn't need Jesus. But regardless about the false teaching and regardless about our attempts and our humanity to find some way to God apart from Jesus, at the end of the day, every single one of us, this is Romans chapter 1, every single one of us knows there is no way that we can get to God by ourselves. So every single person is left asking the question, what do I do about my sin? What do I do with God? And that is when Mark comes in in his gospel and says, church, this is why you have a message. Because you have a watching world, you have a a sinful world, you have a lost world that need a right relationship with God and that is through Jesus and so it's not about your programs, it's not about your entertainment, it's not about your latest trends, your circus, your juggling, all those things it's all about the church saying this is who Jesus is and it's not the fact that the church is saying it, it's that Jesus said it and we're just Repeating it. So what is the answer for my sin? Jesus. What is the answer for your sin? Jesus. What is the answer for lostness, abuse, tragedies, mistreatment? 
the vile destruction and evil that we see in this world? It's Jesus. What is going to make a difference in this community when it comes to the morality, when it comes to the, the faith of people? It's Jesus. And over and over again, we see and we will see throughout the Gospels and throughout the Scripture where they say, don't miss the point. This is who Jesus is. So you go back there to Mark chapter 1, and he wants to make sure that we do not miss the idea of who Jesus is. So now the question comes to you. Who are you? In a parallel gospel in John chapter 1, John writes this, chapter 1 and verse 11. He says he came, talking about Jesus, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is John saying? John is saying that Christ came. And those that chose to believe were counted as part of the family of God. Not because of where you came from. Not because of what you do. But because who Christ is. Is and who you are now in Christ. So, what does that look like? The message of the gospel is clear. We have sinned. Our sin has separated us from God. But God loved us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, His Son, to die for us. And by His death, and by His burial, and by His resurrection, he has paid the price, the penalty for my sin and for your sin. So that if you or I here this morning believe in him, trust in him, cry out to be forgiven by God through the work of Jesus Christ in our behalf, the Bible says we will be saved. Is there someone here this morning that needs to be saved? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.